0: There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hey, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show at Freight Waves, where we deep dive on decarbonization with a focus on freight fuels and energy. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Neha Palmer, CEO of Terrawatt. Neha, how are you?
1: I'm great today. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad you're on the show. I've been reading a lot about everything Terawatt's been up to in the news, and I'm excited to, to learn about the origin story and talk about the problems that we're trying to solve in the industry. So maybe let's kick it off there. Why don't we learn a little bit about you and your background before coming to Terawatt?
1: Sure. Uh, I come from the energy industry. I have over 25 years of experience in all facets of energy. I started off on the gas side as an engineer designing gas pipelines, uh, traded gas commodity for a while. Uh, I have worked as an investment banker, but with energy companies as my clients. And then for the decade before I started Terawatt, I was at Google leading energy strategy for them, focused on data centers. Uh, most people don't realize, but data centers are huge energy consumers. Uh, if you know, you think about uh, you know the size of a big box store. Some of these data centers can be hundreds of big box stores all in one location. So, a huge amount of electricity they're consuming. I did uh, everything from helping with site selection because energy is such an important component of where you put a data center all the way to thinking really deeply about clean energy and how do you buy 100% renewable energy for those data centers. Um, Spent a lot of great time working on that. Uh, Really saw a really amazing corporate movement around that uh, with lots of other companies signing on. Uh, Google achieved 100% renewable while I was there, but lots of other companies of all types starting to sign on to similar pledges. And really exciting time in the industry to see this push by consumers really Uh, They call it the prosumer movement uh, for clean energy. And, uh, you know, fast forward, I was there almost a decade and, you know, had really enjoyed my ride there, Uh, learned a lot, felt like we made lots of impact in the industry and started thinking about, you know, what would be the next big slug of emissions if we're thinking about clean energy for operations that you could really hit. And almost immediately, I triangulated on transportation. Uh, Here in the U.S., it's about a third of our emissions. Um, and a huge amount of that is actually by heavy-duty freight uh, out of that 33%. So, uh, you know, if there's a way to tackle that, uh, you start to make some good dents in, in, you know, our carbon footprint. So, you know, I started looking around, and I don't have, a, I have an engineering degree, but I'm not an automotive engineer. Uh, I'm not a battery engineer. Um, you know, I'm not a software or hardware engineer. So I was really kind of puzzled about how I was going to get involved. And that's when I met my um, co-founders. And, Uh, The folks had really had the idea and the kind of spark in their eye around Terawatt. So uh, Keyframe uh, is a company or is a investment firm that really seeded the concept of Terawatt. Uh, Back in 2018, uh, they were thinking about what are the big themes that are going to come through in the next decade? And they triangulated on this need for EV charging for fleets and really specifically heavy duty fleets. Um, they realized that it was coming. They didn't know when, this is 2018. There weren't a lot of you know, vehicle models out there in the class eight or even class six to class eight range. Uh, battery sizes were still pretty small, but they knew it was coming. And so they wanted to figure out how can we get involved as early as possible? So they realized that the location is going to be very critical for where they put this charging infrastructure. Uh, So they started buying properties in locations they thought that would be really suitable for charging for fleets and heavy duty fleets. And so that would be logistics warehouses, hubs uh, on the open highway and started to make a big portfolio of these sites that when the signal came from the market, hey, we're ready to start turning these up, uh, they'd be well positioned to start doing that pretty quickly. Uh, Fast forward to 2020, um, there had been lots of signals in the market with a lot of corporations making some really big commitments around cleaning up their supply chain with a major component of that being, hey, we're going to clean up our transportation, uh, really our scope one emissions. And so they started uh, you know, thinking about putting this into operation. And that's when I met them. And uh, almost immediately uh, it clicked that this is exactly the opportunity I was looking for and what I should be doing based on my skills. Um, you know, what Terawatt can help with is a full solution for a fleet. So obviously need the location, that's hyper important for a fleet. Uh, you need that large amount of power coming to a site. It's not quite as big as a data center, but think about maybe 20 big box stores or 50 big box stores to power multiple class 8 vehicles charging at one time. Uh, you need to have a bunch of on-site infrastructure, so all of the chargers, maybe you have batteries, maybe you have some other types of generation on-site solar. And then The most important thing that's really different from where charging is today, for fleets, you need very high levels of reliability. Um, That whole stack of infrastructure is almost exactly like a data center. It's real estate, it's power, it is infrastructure, and it's reliable operations. So pretty quickly, uh, almost immediately, the light went off my head and I realized this is kind of what I've been looking for and really uh, interesting opportunity to be on the ground floor of influencing the industry, Um, the way we think about this is there's a once in a century change in transportation here in the U.S. at least. Two centuries ago, we had the railroads. Century ago, we had the National Highway Network. And now we need a whole new set of infrastructure built to basically help everyone electrify. And that can be built on top of some of this other infrastructure, uh, National Highway Network and even rail. Uh, But certainly it's a huge amount of investment uh, both in you know just capital, but also R and D uh, to bring this infrastructure to life, so we can you know get to 100% electrified transport in this country.
0: What an unbelievably um, cohesive and directionally accurate journey to get to where you're at today, right? I love the the values behind that, wanting to see change in the industry and reduce emissions and tackle that. But like appreciating the history of what you've done on the data center side and knowing what we need to do on the transport side, and looking back even. At um, <clears throat> previous iterations and seasons of change, like with the rail and highway you just mentioned, I mean, you, and I talked offline. The opportunity set here is, if you knew a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago, to buy the rail land, right? That was the opportunity set. If you knew what was coming, and you have all these signals being shown from the industry that this is coming, this is coming. I love that you guys have been proactive in um, getting the right of way, right? In a lot of the, in a lot of these areas. So, why don't we talk about? Um, Now that we've laid the foundation, what what comes next and what are the challenges to actually do that work?
1: Yeah, so the challenges are significant. Uh, We are in the wild, wild west of uh, early days of charging for heavy-duty vehicles. It's not dissimilar to uh, the railroad era where there was technological change that was driving what needed to be built. But also just, you know, people adopting this new way of transport was a huge part of that. So the demand side is obviously growing. You see lots of companies making these commitments more and more every day. But you also see, and I know the jury's out, uh, on whether or not that TCO really pans out for uh, heavy-duty vehicles. We believe it does, and we believe that with the technology curves and cost curves coming down for these vehicles, you certainly will see an economic advantage to being electrified with fleets. Uh, But the challenges are real when you come to the charging infrastructure. Uh, you really do need that perfect triangulation of that full stack of infrastructure. You need the right location. It has to be in a place where fleets can use it uh, without being too disruptive to their operations. So finding the site that is in the right location is big enough and is zoned properly can be a pretty interesting, uh, you know, Venn diagram of a few sites that are actually suitable. Um, The power is also another really interesting aspect of this. Um, With railroads, it really was like, just get that right of way, get get that uh, right to build that line. Um, What we see here is that it's not just the space or the land, but it's also the power. Um, Bringing that large amount of power to any one location takes time and capital. And it's also a much more, uh, you know, balkanized system here in the U.S. You have uh, hundreds, if not thousands of different utility operators that you might need to work with, depending on the location. Um, and you also have lots of grid operators that you have to work with. So, you know, that is a much different layer of complexity than previous iterations of this large transport infrastructure. Um, and then just the sheer capital involved, right? A lot of these fleets have, uh, you know, been making these investments into these uh, potentially quite a bit more expensive, uh, you know, um, fleets. Uh hopefully subsidized. Uh, a lot of them are using those subsidies that are available. But if they start thinking about the investment required to get the right amount of charging out there for their fleets, uh, it starts to become somewhat daunting in some cases. Um, we didn't ask, you know, fleets to start building the gas station networks across the US. Uh, investing into this is probably significantly more expensive than that and will require a lot of investment. Uh, the estimate out there is you know, forty billion by 2030. I think that's a vast understatement um, in what we need for charging infrastructure. So, if you look at uh, you know the complexity, which is working with all of these different utilities and jurisdictions to get the power and to get the zoning correct, uh, the capex involved in actually putting this into action, and then the reliable operations is also something that's really important. Um, this is a marriage of hardware and software, and both of them are fairly nascent right now. So this is not a uh, hey we'll build a you know giant uh, you know set of plugs that you plug in the vehicle. There is definitely a lot more management complexity there. So those are the challenges that exist in the industry. Um, the good news is I think that we have all the building blocks to address them. Uh, we just need to get uh, you know get moving, get the right infrastructure in place.
0: It's a Herculean task, no doubt. But I'm sure that you know with enough time and money, engineers generally win. I, I look back at. Uh, the uh, previous iterations we were discussing, people forget a lot of times before we went from steam to diesel and the locomotives, you had a water station every 30 miles along each of these ra- <laughs> these rail lines because you had to stop and refill. That's not a lot different than these early days of EV charging, right? Where you think you've got range anxiety or issues. That gets solved with enough time and money and attention on it, as long as the end product is better. So with that in mind and looking to the future, does this become Less balkanized in a future EV charging world, where you have more siloed, decentralized, self-owned operating systems, or do you think there'll be a bigger ecosystem that comes along to help build this out?
1: I think there'll be a bigger ecosystem. Look, these are units that move all across the country, so having a network is really critical. Uh, someone who is, you know, headquartered on the West Coast needs to know that they can get eventually all the way to the East Coast to be able to you know, take their goods uh, where they want and know that they're gonna have reliable charging along the way. So the network can be in many different you know, uh, fashions. Um, you could have a network of, hey, this is my physical network that I own and I know that you're contracted with that or you have the capability to come and charge there. Uh, there's software networks, right? How are you gonna pay for this? Um, you know, the the corollary on the diesel side is fuel cards. Is there some sort of payment network that's all tied together? Um, from the operation side, the software and the hardware is really important. There has to be compatibility. So is there a network of very high-powered chargers? That might be a little bit different for different types of vehicle needs. So I do think there will be an ecosystem of players that provide this. I think what we're trying to do is put this into a really digestible package. Um, a fleet operator does not want to think about that whole stack. I got to deal with the local utility. I have to deal with uh, you know whatever their power rates are there and understand those. I have to deal with um, making sure that my hardware is the you know, latest and greatest and there's no you know, technology slip there. Uh, I have to deal with the software aspect of that. And how does that integrate into my telematics for my vehicles? So I certainly think providing this kind of turnkey package that companies like Terawatt are providing is going to be really important for fleets to be able to adopt quickly and easily. Now, of course, there's lots of fleets that you know some of them have deep pockets that are developing components themselves. But when you look at the sheer amount of infrastructure required, and that network effect, that really starts to make it much easier to electrify. uh, I think you'll see that many of them will either partner or completely push that over to a third party. Um, It's just too much critical infrastructure to build on one company. Um, We do think that the solution is going to be widely varied. So we think that fleets will have some of the charging happen on their sites. It makes sense. Their operations are there. They spend time there. Uh, But they will also be leveraging, uh, you know, things like Terawatt to find solutions out in the wild um, or find solutions where they may struggle. Another really big thing that we find our customers tell us is, hey, I want to put this on my site, but I don't have any space because my operations are already taking up all the space. Um, I don't have the power. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, there might be an existing facility where it's all tapped out and getting the power at their site would take two years. Um, The other thing that a lot of our customers come upon is, hey, I'm in a lease space and my landlord is being varying levels of cooperative with me wanting to retrofit the site. And if I'm only going to be here five years and I might go to a different location, do I want to invest all that money into all of the equipment on my site right now? So a lot of those different considerations, I think, um, lend themselves to solutions like Terawatt, which can help bridge that gap.
0: I'm curious with that. <clears throat> problem set kind of identified there. Are there what are the biggest um, analogs or correlations you might see from your data center background too? Like when I think data center, I'm thinking, you know, as you said, bigger box, have the ability to be removed, don't have to be in your industry. But when we're talking about a lot of these fleets, they're smaller, they're dotted around cities, around logistics parks. Um, are, are there enough overlaps there where you can overcome that lack of scale and the ability to just be on your own island?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think of the cloud and how that started, right? Uh, you go back 30 years, most companies had, uh, big companies would have a giant server farm in their basement of their building, right, their headquarters. Um, over time, as technology has kind of grown, they've moved to the cloud and they now have, they might have some compute and operations in their basement, but they would definitely be moving to the cloud over time. There's a migration there. And I think that's a great corollary for what we're seeing here, you might have vehicles that currently fuel on site because they have those operations available or very proximate site. but what you'll see over time is because the investment required to you know get the charging in place to make sure it's you know technologically up to date and to make sure it's reliable makes sense to start to go you know off-site to a third party that can provide the you know, latest and greatest investing category service for that type of a thing. So I do think that there's some corollaries from the data center world. Um, Certainly, you know, we think about utilization, which is a big component of, I know for the trucking industry, uh, making sure that their vehicles are in operation as much as possible helps buy down that total cost of operation over time uh, and the cost of holding that vehicle. Same thing for charging. Uh, If you're in a situation where you can have multiple fleets that might be co-located and you using that same set of infrastructure, maybe in a slightly different pattern than each other, you've now cut down that cost for each fleet, right? Owning it yourself and, and you know operating it yourself uh, requires you to provide all the utilization. But if you're able to supplement with other fleets, you start to see that cost come down over time. And that's a key component of value that we think we bring as well, is that we're able to start to optimize the use of this infrastructure over time that drives ultimately drives down the cost for customers.
0: Super important. And I'm glad you just mentioned that. When we when we look about getting steel on the ground, where does this start? I assume this is following policy in many cases. And so we'll see some sites open up in California along the West Coast. But where do you see that rollout happening? Do you have a crystal ball?
1: Well, we made a big announcement last year that we are starting to develop the first electrified heavy duty corridor starting uh, in the port of Long Beach and really moving east towards the port in El Paso. So along the I-10. a lot of the incentives, a lot of the compliance obligations around zero emission vehicles are in California. So you do see the hotbed of activity happening there in Southern California and a little bit here in Northern California as well. Uh, I think that is where you see the most demand and the most adoption, which is super exciting. Uh, being a Californian, I know that we're the guinea pigs often and uh, trying things out first until they get uh, come down the cost curve and get rolled out across the nation. So. We do see the south half being uh, more of a focus, um, especially for heavy duty, given some of the battery dynamics that are out there. Uh, You know, temperature, uh, cold temperature in particular, can uh, reduce the range uh, of a vehicle. So, you know, people are focusing on places where they don't face those extremes right now. Uh, Again, as you said, with enough time and money, engineers can craft all kinds of solutions. And we see that happening already. But I do think California will be, uh, you know, the real focus of activity. Call it for the next 24 months. But we're already seeing where people have made these commitments to clean up their supply chains by really early in dates 25, 2025, 2030 that they're starting to go to their other big bases of operation and request support for charging in those locations. Um, so places like Texas, uh, other places that have big port operations, for example. Those are all places that we think will electrify uh, in short order after, you know, California does, that, does the hard, uh, heavy lifting of, uh, you know, the 1.0 version of, of this.
0: Yeah, they're pushing the ball up the hill so it can roll downhill for everybody else in many cases. Where do you think, um, let's put on the the capital and investor hat, which you wear all the time, who wins in this, right? If we were going back and building out the gas station infrastructure again, you know, who are the people that are deploying capital and end up, you know, coming out on top in this game?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. We see this as a very similar asset class to data centers, in fact. Um, Again, that location is so hyper important. You really want to make sure that you're at a place that makes sense for fleets that they're going to want to come and charge there. The other piece is the power. You have to find a location and then also bring that power there. So we see it as a very similar asset class, which is, I guess, real estate to data centers, uh, but there obviously is a lot more complexity, actually, in some cases than data centers. You really do need a lot of thought around energy management. So you would have a lot of those kind of behind the fence, potentially energy elements out there. Um, and you also need to be located uh, really in kind of some far flung locations. So, um, you know, as, as far as investors go, we see real estate investors starting to see the benefit of this is another alternative use uh, than, say, industrial Uses like warehouses, but we're also seeing uh, energy investors get really interested because there is such a good nexus to the energy system and the grid. Uh, so lots of folks out there are interested. They realize that the you know addressable market is just giant here. If we're building that third you know every century layer of infrastructure, investments significantly beyond forty billion over the next you know ten plus years. Uh, so I think that there's a lot of interest. Um, And we also see technology, right? There's um, obviously the whole vehicle ecosystem that needs to be invested into. So a lot of folks who are seeing that the infrastructure is going to be required for the, you know, the demand for the vehicles to grow are also very interested in investing into this infrastructure because it's, you know, going to be required for them to grow that piece of their business.
0: Are these projects big enough where they become like their own special purpose vehicles or is it more along like you've got the, The holding company at the top, and then we're just stacking up collaborators from customers um, and then infrastructure providers and solar build. Like the ecosystem is kind of below the operator of that entire network.
1: I think it can be either way, frankly. Um, Some of these sites are going to be pretty intense with the amount of power you have to bring and the investment you make in bringing that level of power interconnection to a site. And then the chargers, as they start to get more and more higher powered, are fairly expensive pieces of equipment that will require, in some cases, millions of dollars of investment per site. So I think it depends on uh, the scale that we're pursuing. Um, you know, We want to go fairly large scale, so we're thinking about how to optimize that structure um, over time. I think it'll evolve too. Um, you've seen that happen with data centers. Um, I think it's going to evolve as you start to understand exactly the level of investment required for these pieces of infrastructure.
0: Great point. Great point. I know I could go on for hours with you because this is so interesting, but we are coming up on time, so I want to leave you with the question that I ask all the guests on the show, and that is, Nayab, when you wake up in the morning, why is it important that you go to work at a job that focuses on reducing emissions?
1: I mean, it's one of our values as a company is reduce emissions. Um, it is so important. Um, I think what's so exciting to me is that you said this a little bit earlier, but this technology is also accretive to whoever's using it. Right? It's great technology. It's Uh, technology that people love to engage with. Um, When you give a driver an EV, they may be skeptical. They always come out of that truck, you know, completely sold. So for, for me, it is just core to the mission in terms of how do you make life better for the people using the product? And then how do you in turn make that better for the planet? And it's just something we think about every day. We think about the customer experience and how does that translate into adoption which then translates into reduced emissions. You know, if we can get the entire industry, as we mentioned at the top of the call, to go fully electrified, we've, you know, reduced our emissions as a country by a third, which is super exciting to me. But there's a lot of components to get there and this customer adoption is the first thing.
0: Noble sentiments, and I agree completely. It's an exciting technical challenge, but it's also, you know, the opportunity of our lifetime to do good for those around us, uh, not just in our local communities, but in the world at large. So thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to having you back and hearing what Tara Watt's been up to in the future.
1: Thanks so much, Taylor.